Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. How are we, church? We good? Hey, uh, happy Easter last weekend. That was awesome, huh? Super awesome weekend. It's always just one of the best weekends of the whole entire year. We had, we had almost 600 people uh, attend last weekend in our gatherings in person. We had about 100 people tune in with us online, both of which are awesome, but neither of which are as awesome as the two people who in this service gave their life to the Lord. Um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you, I mean, you think about they, they came in one way and they left just a new person with a new eternal destination, and that is, that's incredible, isn't it? That's awesome. So uh, if you're here and you made that decision last week, if you're here and you just uh, maybe, you know, I think we're just in a season now coming out of COVID, uh, maybe you're just kind of re-engaging with church, maybe just getting back connected to something that you wanted to be connected to for the last year, but online church just hasn't, hasn't felt the same. And, and so now you're here, you're kind of getting back in with this church community. I just want to say, uh, whether you just popped in with Easter and you're coming back or whether you've been committed for a little while or whether you're re-engaging now for the first time in a bit, I just want to say we're honored to be gathered with you. Uh, we love gathering with God's people and singing and worshiping, opening up his word together. So we're just, we're thankful that you're here. Amen. And uh, I want to start today's message with a story. Um, two summers ago, we went to Desperation Conference. So how many students in the room, like make a little noise if you've been to Desperation Conference before? Okay. So if you have a middle schooler, high schooler, uh, I would say this is, a, this is a must on your summer calendar. You've got to get them signed up for Desperation. You can go to gschurch.info right now and get them signed up. Uh, for every, incoming sixth graders, and even if you are in 12th grade and graduating this year, you can still tag along for this year. Um, and it, I think it's 225 bucks um, from the 13th to the 16th. So, I mean, just praise God, like they'll be out of your house for a few days, right? And they'll be well taken care of, well fed the whole time. And uh, if, if that, if, if I've always said, like, if, if money is the only obstacle in your way, uh, we, like, we will find money. I will find money for you. Just get signed up and we'll take care of the rest of it on its own. That, that's a promise for, from us to you. But um, it's, it's a life-changing conference. I really like going to it a few times as the youth pastor here um, and really watching uh, just what happens with students during this time, but just also what happens in my own heart when I go down there. I'm trying to find a way to get down to Desperation Conference this summer. Um, and so it's just such a good time. And we prayed for New Life and Pastor Brady. That is, that's a fruit of what they do there is, is they just put on this awesome, awesome students, student conference where uh, kids' lives just get changed and it's incredible. So if you're a parent, get your kids signed up. But the, the story is, uh, it wasn't last summer, obviously. Nothing, nothing fun happened last summer, right? Um, it was the summer before last summer. Uh, we went down to Desperation Conference. And at that time, I was trying to convince Caden, Caden that it would be a good idea to, to come be at this church. So I was, I was kind of just going like, hey, let's, let's hang out at Desperation Conference. And I was really just the whole time trying to convince him that, that being here would be a good idea. And uh, so we're, we're in a bus. I strategically, you know, had us sharing a 15-passenger van together. So it's kind of the two of us. We have the, all these other kids in the back seat, right? And um, I can't remember if we were like leaving dinner or going to lunch or whatever. And he was, he was saying something along the lines of like, oh my gosh, we should totally go there. That food slaps. Now, okay, let's just pause real quick. Who understood what I just said? Raise your hand. Great. So nobody over the age of 30 understood what I just said. This is, this is perfect. So uh, he then explained to me what that means. Because I looked at him and he's like, man, yeah, that slaps. We should totally go there. And I'm like, what? what? It, huh? It, sl it slaps? He's like, yeah, that's what you say when something's like really good. Like it hits the spot. It, it slaps. I was like, okay. 
all right, sure, I, I, I can get along with that a little bit. And then he goes, and if it's, if it's really good, like if the food's really, really good, then what you say is it spanks. <laughs> I was like, I was like, hold on, wait, are you serious? He's like, I'm serious. Like if it's, if it's that good, it has to be that good. But if it's that good, then you just say, oh man, that food spanks. I was like, man, I don't know. Like I'm all of a sudden feeling like I am too old to participate in some of the language that the kids these days are using. You know what I'm saying? And, and so it, like a half a day goes by, like it wasn't that long. And then he just, he stops me. He's like, listen, before you say that to anybody, before you lose your job as a pastor, um, I, I was lying. <laughs> like, that's not what you say. <laughs> he's like, don't, please don't say that. Please don't say that to anybody ever. Um, and so he said it kindly to me before I ever used it in the context with the youth group. Praise God. Um, but now I'm here talking about it on a Sunday morning. So that's, I don't know, better or worse. But um, how we use words matters. And what, what we tend to do with language in culture is we tend to try and like shift and bend different words and use them in different ways as time goes on so that we can kind of form them into the way that we like to use them. Cool, for some of you, you would have like, like even 50 years ago, cool would have never been used how we use it all the time now. You barely even describe something as cold as cool, but now we just say cool as in it's neat, it's fun. It's, I mean, there's so many different ways that we have bent and shifted and changed the definitions of words. And I want to consider what the implications of that would be with the word love this morning. If we've changed and if we've shifted what love is, then what does that mean? Because we, we know intuitively that we're called to be a people of love. Like we know that God is love and we should reflect that love. We know that probably uh, the, the greatest commandment, Jesus says, is to love the Lord your God with everything that you have and then to love your neighbor as yourself. But if we're not using the right version of the word love, then we could be in trouble, right? Because love, like we use it so many different ways. Now, I've, I've made this joke before. I'll make it again. Like there's so many different things that you could say that you love. I love these shoes more than all my other shoes because they're probably the most comfortable after a full day of standing up. I love tacos. I love, I love um, pulled pork. I have, I have a pork shoulder on my smoker at home right now. Right now. It's going to be just waiting for me when I get home and I'm going I'm to love shredding that pork and I love eating pulled pork. I love my wife. I love my kids. Hopefully, like, these all don't mean the same definition because we're using it in the, like we're using the same word, but we mean it differently in different contexts. So when we come to the Bible and we hear a command to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, and love our neighbor as ourself, we ought to have the definition of that love correct. We ought to have it correct. I'll say this. I think, I think love becomes the primary mark of faith in Jesus. It's that important for the believer. It is the primary mark of faith for a believer. Um, so I was at a soccer game yesterday, right? I told you guys last week we started youth sports and I had mixed feelings about it. So we're at the soccer field last week. I'm sorry, yesterday, yesterday morning. All these parents, all these kids running around and I see this lady and she's got this shirt on that says, be kind. And I was like, yeah, for sure. Like we should be kind, you know? And you see like uh, say a bumper sticker recently that said, be a nice human. I was like, well, for sure. Like I, I can get on board with be a nice human, be kind. Um, but you can be kind and you can be a nice human and you can still not know the love of God. If you don't know the love of God, that means that you are going to hell. So I hate to make it like so serious this morning, but we ought to approach this seriously because it's, it is important how we address this topic. It's, it's not just, Christianity is not just about being kind. It's not just about being a nice person. You can be a nice person. You can completely miss the mark. If I'm a nice person, it doesn't mean that I'm 
I'm, I'm inwardly uh, like embodying the love that I've received from God the Father, and I'm demonstrating that to the world around me. So we, we ought to get the definition of this love correct. So to do that, we're going to go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Open that on up. 1 John, maybe you haven't been there in a while. It's close to the back of your Bible. Okay, so open it on. If you have a digital Bible, that's cheating. You know, you just get to go right there. But open it up. I want you to read it. Because as we're reading it, what you're going to know, we're in 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7, and we're going to read through 21. So it's 14 verses. In those 14 verses, the Apostle John is going to use the word love 28 times. And as we read it, you'll be like, okay, dang, like love, dude, we got it. Like it's in there, love. Here's what's interesting about this word love. The Greeks, uh, it wasn't like English. Greek had a lot more of nuance and it had a lot more of different, uh, different words used to articulate different things. They wouldn't have just said love. They had, they had multiple words for the word love. And the word that shows up here 28 times in these 14 verses is the word agape. Now, if you've been around church for a little while, you've heard this phrase before, agape love. But what's interesting about the etymology of the word agape, so the origin of that word, is as they dig back and try and find out where it was first used, it's predominantly, they get most of the meaning of it from the New Testament. It's not found, like its origin is kind of a mystery outside of the New Testament. So linguistic professors, like that's a thing. That's weird, right? Like I'm so not a linguistic professor. I had to look up the word etymology earlier this week. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they will say that like, that, that love, how they build out a definition for it, this word agape, is using the context and the clues that it's used in Scripture. So as we're reading it here, as we're looking at this, don't, don't just be looking at how many time it, it, times it's used. Don't just be looking at frequency. Be looking at, at how it's used. What, what kind of context sits around the word? Because this is how John, the Apostle John, who was, who was on the inner squad of those who walked with Jesus, right? He, he, was, he was tight with Jesus. He, he not only wrote the Gospel of John, he wrote these three epistles, then he wrote uh, his revelation down in the book of Revelation, right? So as we read this, just look for how agape, because that's the word that occurs 28 times. He's not using any other word. He uses agape every single time in these 14 verses, and let's look for contextually how he's using it, okay? If you got it, say okay. Okay. First John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved, but, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. And if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. 
For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So obviously John, John's like on the love train in this passage. And he's like, what you primarily will grab out of his love is that agape love, what it's going to be reduced down to most simply, is a love that spends. A love that is not self-seeking, a love that is outwardly focused. A love that's not considering itself first, but considering the needs of others first. And so it's all encapsulated in what we talked about last week. That for God so loved the world that he gave, he spent, he sent, he gave his son so that he might be a ransom for many. So that he who knew no sin, who became sin, to bear our sin on that cross that we deserve, our punishment, so that he might save us. That is the love of God. That is agape love, is a love that gives away. Uh, it's contrasted, if you could put it this way, um, with a selfishness. And a lot of love that we talk about today, it's really, it's really more self-seeking. I, I love you because of what I get out of this relationship. I love that because it makes me feel good. So you think about how, how often in our modern language of the word love, it's directed at ourselves. But agape love is always, is always moving outward. So Paul writes it down this way in Galatians chapter 5. We've read this verse a fair bit in this series. Um, but he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. So that rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, your translation might read um, selfish, selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. So it's, it's, it's me thinking about myself. It's me protecting me, me operating in a way that's always looking out for and caring for me first, for the self first. And that's what he says is the work of the flesh. So a, a love that we can kind of conjure up in our own mind that is really just focusing on us is not of the spirit, it's of the devil. That's how strong this would be. It's of the flesh. It is, it is not of God. And so when our love is so focused on ourself, that's not how the Spirit's calling us to operate. The Spirit, would he'd say, the fruit of the Spirit is love, agape, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It's like, be kind? Yeah, for sure. Being kind is important. It's the fruit of the Spirit. But the primary mark of Christian faith is love, that we would be a loving people, a people who are willing to spend ourselves for the needs of others, because that is the way that God has first loved us. Um, throw up the quote by um, Anton LaVey. Anyone know who Anton LaVey is? That's good because he's the founder of the church of Satan. So I'm just, I'm happy that nobody knows who he is. That's the, that's the good news in here this morning. You know what I'm saying? Um, or, you know, you, you, you knew that and you were in the church of Satan. Now you're in the church of Christ. And that's amazing. That's a huge transformation. Look what he, look what he says. Because I think oftentimes we, we cast or we maybe picture uh, what a Satan worshiping person might look like. And we think it's really evil and it's really dark and it's really gross. And really what he says is we don't worship Satan, we worship ourselves. We're worshiping ourselves using the metaphorical representation of the qualities of Satan. Satan, in the, Satan is the name used by Judeo-Christians for the force of individuality and pride within us. So this is, I mean, like, think about it however you want, but this is at the core of what he's saying is that like, no, Satanism, what Satan's after is about you worshiping yourself. And think about why, why, why Lucifer was cast out of heaven. It was because of pride. It was because he was obsessed with himself. And so it makes sense. The devil's not trying to get you to worship him. He's trying to get you to worship you. That's what he's after. 
But agape love would have not your worship centered on you, it would have it centered on Jesus. And in that worship centered on Jesus, you're then loving and demonstrating the love that he's first given to you, to the world. That's what agape love is going to mean. That's what it's going to embody in this text. So we're going to go through three things. I want you to see that love is important. I want you to see that love is important, that the definition of love is fixed, it's not fluid, and that the kind of, the kind of love that we're reading about in this passage goes beyond an intellectual understanding. It's not just some concept. It's not some theology to try and grasp with your mind, but it's actually uh, something for you to experience and a love for you to encounter. So the first thing that love is important, love is important. important. Uh, verse 8 shows us just how important this love is. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So John just wrote down for us there the, the blues clues that he gave us are that if you don't know what this love is, then you don't actually know God. If you don't know God, then you're not going to heaven. You feel that. You feel how important this is. Like this agape, understanding, receiving, and then expressing this agape love is critical. It's absolutely critical. Um, the Apostle Paul would write it this way in 1 Corinthians. He says, if I, if I can prophesy, like if I can, if I can just be prophetic in gifting, if I, if I can um, have enough faith to say to that mountain, hey, move over a little bit, and it listens to me, if I have that kind of faith, and if I have all knowledge, so just like, let's pause right there. Paul just lists off a pretty, like pretty good list. Like if I'm hiring somebody, and I'm like, so what kind of skills do you have? They're like, well, gift of prophecy. How good? It's super good. Never wrong. Okay, that's legit. Uh, that's pretty good. If, what about, uh, you know, how, how's your faith? You, know, you got to work, if you're going to work in church, you got to have faith. How much faith do you have? He's like, I have faith that I can move that mountain range right over there. Oh, wow. Okay. That, like, that's, that's a lot of faith, right? And if he said, I'm like, what, what are you good at? Like, what do you know? What are things that you've learned? And they're just like, everything. I possess all knowledge. You're hired, right? Like I'm, the conversation's over. Like the job is yours. Come on in, right? But how does Paul end that passage? It's like, if I have all that, but I don't love, he doesn't say I'm average. He doesn't say my faith is lukewarm. He doesn't say my faith is okay. He doesn't say I'm a decent Christian. He says, I am nothing. If I don't love, I am nothing. If I don't have agape, I am loving. This love, this love that we're talking about here today is important. Us experiencing this kind of love is important and us demonstrating this love is important. The second thing that we got to understand is that this definition is fixed. It's not fluid. The definition of, of agape love is fixed. It's not fluid. Um, it says a couple times in this passage that God is love. God is love. It's not, just, it's not just something that he is capable of doing, like, oh, he's a loving God. It's someone who he actually is. It's, it's, it's woven into his very character and his very nature, as he is a God of love. God is also unchanging. God is also immutable, which means that God is always love. He will forever be, he always has been, love. That's not going anywhere. And so the love that you've encountered when you first encounter God, when you come to him and you say, I need a savior, I need a Lord for my life, I can't do this anymore. And you confess that and you encounter his love for the first time because you experience his grace and mercy that's available to you in the cross. Then somehow as, as Christians, if you've been doing this for a while, you can get to this spot years down the line where you're convinced that God maybe doesn't love you like he used to. But what's brain broke about that way of thinking is that like you were broken the first time he loved you. And he's not changing. We're the ones that are always changing. Like we're the ones that can't seem to get it together. He's got it together. He is a God of love. His love is steady. His love is steadfast. It's unchanging. It's immutable. It doesn't go anywhere. So the definition of it is fixed. It's not fluid. And here's what culture is trying to do right now is culture is sort of trying to rob out the definition of love from underneath of us. 
So not, not only can I say like, I love tacos, I love fajitas, I love Katie. And, and those aren't all like the same category of love. But we also, we also are being told by culture right now that if you are not tolerant and accepting of me and my behavior, then you are not loving. You feel that? So, so culture is trying to make uh, uh, tolerance and acceptance a prerequisite for love. So in fact, if you're not going to tolerate my behavior, if you're not going to accept me for who I am and who I authentically say that I am, if you're not going to accept that about me, then you don't love me. And in fact, you'll be labeled much worse than just unloving. You'll be labeled bigoted or intolerant or, or homophobic. I mean, there's all sorts of different words that we could put into that category. And so there's a, lot, there's a lot here, but let me just try to explain it this way. You just saw Haven. Haven just got, she just left, right? I, I didn't see many eyes, but she just, she just got escorted out of the room, right? Because she was like, hey, you guys, you can pray for me, okay? <laughs> she, just, she just turned three. That's why, that's why the pork is at home smoking, and it's, it's going to slap when we eat it later. It's going to be so good. <laughs> um, no, I don't, I don't think I can pull it off. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, I won't say that again. I'm sorry. So, she, like, she just turned three. Our other two kids, pretty obedient naturally, pretty just like rule followers, tell us what to do, pretty easygoing, relaxed, chill. Um, our, our third, uh, we, that sweet girl right there, like, she's just a little more strong-willed. She's got a little more of the I'm do me kind of vibe. You know what I mean? Where it's just like, hey, we're going to do this. And she's like, well, no, we are not going to do this. <laughs> so pray for me. Like I said, we just need the Holy Spirit's inward work of transformation to happen in her heart ASAP. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> That Haven loves, she loves to be in the street. I, I don't know why. She, like she, when we're out in the front yard, she's just like walking the street. When she's going the street, she, she wants to cross the street without holding somebody's hand. And the rule in my house, the rule I'm sure in like a lot of you guys' house, if we're in the street, you're holding a hand. It's that simple. If we're in the street, you're holding a hand. And she's like, I'm not holding your hand. So it's one of those where I'm like, here, okay, I won't hold your hand, but you can hold my finger, right? And as she reaches up to hold my finger, I snatch her whole arm, right? <laughs> And I'm kind of like dragging her around. So I'm just like, listen, because here's the thing. If I would be accepting of Haven's love for the street, if I would just tolerate the fact that she loves playing in the street, it, it, would, it would actually make me not just a, a not loving dad, it would make me an evil father if I just let her do that. And so if, if we believe in something that's absolutely good and absolutely evil, which we do. We believe it's an absolute good and absolute evil. We don't believe that stuff is changing and shifting as we progress as a culture. There are fixed right and wrong. And if we believe in absolute good and absolute evil, then, then uh, tolerating and accepting behavior and just letting people do things that, that are actually evil, that are actually sin. And if we just tolerate and accept that, then we're actually the evil ones. So, so here's, here's where this gets critical because this is where we like some of these communities that have labeled us unkind have a reason to do so because we have been unkind. You can be loving and you can still be kind. Makes me think of the story of Jesus uh, when, he's, when he has the woman caught in adultery. And you think about it, she's, she's caught in the act of adultery, dragged out in front of all of these religious leaders, dragged out in front of all these men. You talk about the pinnacle of shame in someone's life. Like she's, she's guilty of this sin. She, she was caught in the middle of it and she was brought in. And, and what Jesus does is he, he, he flips the script kind of, and he, and he bends down in the sand. He just starts doodling in the sand. We don't know exactly what he wrote, but all of a sudden, one by one, all the accusers start to leave. All these men start to leave. But I, you know, I, I we can't tell what he's going to write. My, my favorite thought to think about what he's writing is, is the name of their mistresses, the people that they've been unfaithful with. Seriously, that, that's one theory that actually maybe holds some weight. 
is he's writing down the ways that they've been unfaithful. And so as they see that they're guilty of the same law and they're deserving of death, they start to leave. And so then what does Jesus do? Is he, he picks that woman's face up once they're all gone. He says, woman, where are your accusers? Who is left to condemn you? She says, there's no one. He says, neither do I condemn you. And what does he say? Go and sin no more. So listen, hear this. God's love is in, the invitation extends to all. God's will is that none should perish. He's inviting everyone in. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter how busted up you are. It doesn't matter how dark you think your story is. You probably might line up with more of the biblical characters than you think you would. God loves you and his love for you is steadfast. It's not moving. It's not changing. He loves you. But the invitation of God's love begs for you to come in to receive it, to receive God as your Savior and your Lord so that you, you might not behave the same way, so that you would repent and turn and come back. So, so God's love, it extends to all, but you need to come, and if you're going to receive it, just like we talked about last week, then it takes a dying to self. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but it's now Christ who lives in me, okay? So God's love, agape, this word, the definition of it is not fluid. It's fixed. It's been set by God himself, and our God is a God who does not change, and that's very good news for us. Because like, if he did change, we'd all be toast. Really? Right? Like, cause we, we, come, on, come on, we've received this love and we, we are going to be, okay, God, I'm going to be so faithful to you. I'll never make that mistake again. And then we make the mistake again. But God's love, he's saying, no, my love for you is steadfast. Like, we're the insecure ones in the relationship. Have you ever thought about it that way? God's the one who's so secure. He's so steady. His love is always available to you and me. We're the ones that get all out of whack and think that we need to go find a different way to get earn it. And so, this is, this is, it's unchanging. You cannot change God's love. The last thing that we got to look at is that this love is not just meant to be defined. We don't just need a definition for it. It's not just an important concept to understand. The love of God is something that is meant to be experienced. Look at verse, verses 14 through 16 with me. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him. So if you want to experience the love of God, it's found through confession and repentance. These are two words we don't love to use a lot in church anymore. But if you want to, if you want to, imbr- if you want to encounter God's love, it starts with you confessing that you need him as a Lord and Savior. It starts with your confession of going, I've messed up. I'm sinful. I've been broken. I've been rebelling against your kingdom and I need your help. And in that confession, that very moment, what you begin to see is the Spirit's going to illuminate God's work on the cross and you're going to see that his grace has been poured out for your life so that you might be reconciled and restored in relationship with him. That's why you're going to encounter God's love. But like confession isn't just this one-time thing. It's not just like I got saved once because I confessed my need for Jesus. We also need to, we have to have, to, we have, to have this ongoing ethic of confessing and repenting from the things that are going on in our life. Ever, ever since the fast, one of the things God highlighted for me in the fast was I was not praying enough. So I've been praying every single day since the fast. And you might be like, oh my gosh, he's so holy. He prays every day. Like, like let me tell you what a lot of my prayer time looks like. First of all, it's, it's me sitting in my living room drinking a cup of coffee. Praise Jesus. And I sit there and I start almost every single one of my days by going, God, I am not enough for what you've given to me. I, I don't know how to lead this church. I don't, know how to be, I don't know how to be the husband that I need to be to Katie. I don't know how to be the dad that I've been to these three beautiful children that you've given me. I, I, like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing, Lord. I need you. I confess with my mouth that, God, I need you. 
Like, I don't want to live this life without you. I don't want to go anywhere that your presence is leading me. God, I need you. Listen to me. Any single one of you can pray like that in the morning. You can open up every single day. You can start the beginning of every single day and just go, God, I confess I need you. I'm desperate for you. I, I cannot do this without you. I don't want to do this without you. Maybe I could find my own way through this life without you, but God, I don't want to. Help keep me locked in with you. But then it's also an invitation to repent. So repentance is something that we're constantly doing. John uses a lot of this abiding language. And if you're familiar enough with your Bible, you know that in John chapter 15, he sits down with Jesus who says, abide with me, abide with me. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. This is Jesus speaking. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. How beautiful is that? God, God wants your joy, the joy in your heart, the joy in your life to be full, to be complete, to be lacking nothing. And that's found in this abiding relationship with him. And the way that we are abiding, he uses this plant language where it's like, just like the branch that's detached from the vine can no longer bear fruit on its own, so you can bear nothing on your own detached from me. And so our our role, what we've been trying to do for the first like eight weeks of this series was just go, man, what are some things that I can put in my life that help me abide? You don't do abiding practices to earn God's love. His love for you is consistent. But we do the practices, we do the Christian things, we read our Bible, we worship, we go to church, we tithe, we, we budget our time, we budget our resources, we budget the way that we spend ourselves in community. We do all of those things so that we might remain close to and aware of God's love for us. We do, them, we do them from a position of love, not for a position of love. Do you get that? That is what we're after, is just going back and going, okay, I want to encounter more of God's love. And so it's this invitation to just go, okay, God, I confess my need for you. And, and hopefully what you're doing throughout your life is you're finding ways that you've, you've let roots go down into other things. You've let roots go down into friendships and relationships, into community, into, into money, into your time, into your own personal autonomy. Whatever you're like letting roots go down to, the, the, the word confession is just to turn around, to bring yourself back in and to reattach yourself to the source of life, to the source of your abundant, complete, full joy. That's what we're after. That's what we're trying to do is we're trying to remain close that we might encounter God's love. As I was preparing this message, I was going, okay, um, who, who don't I love well, God? And maybe you're even thinking that right now. You're like, okay, this, this agape kind of love is a love that would spend itself for the sake of others. A love that would seek to serve and not to be selfish. That's what agape love is going to look like. And, and John flips it here as he's talking about receiving God's love, confessing, needing God's love. He flips it towards the end, starting in verse 19. He says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So the imperative out of this text, the thing that we have to get is that God loves us and that, God, that love from God is available to us. But what's, what indicates that we've received that love is the way that we love others. So we have to be people who would not just embody this love, but express this love. And this is where we kind of go, okay, God, where am I not loving people well? Like, so I, I actually think if I, as I kind of inventory my life, I think like I, I do a pretty good job loving my family in a sacrificial way, in a sacrificial way. Oh, I love my friends in a sacrificial way. There's a lot of friends that like would call me up and they need something, I'd be there, right? I, I'm, I'm decent at that, but God's showing me 
you know where you're not so great at loving people is the people that you don't actually get along with too well, the people you don't agree with, people who think about this world and maybe politics differently than you do. Those are the harder people to love. And those, I'm still called to expend myself and to, and to serve and to, to be selfless towards those people and to demonstrate God's love to them because I have been demonstrated that love from God first. So if I've received it for myself, I need to express it to others. So here's where I want to be careful of this. Like, like what we have to do with this text, we have to go, okay, um, where, where do I need to be loving people better? And let me tell you where to start. You start in your own house. You start in your own house. Husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church. That's what Paul writes. That, like he, Christ gave himself up for the church. So this kind of love that Christ has demonstrated towards us is the, is the kind of love that we are to, like, to, to carry into our marriages with our spouses. And, and so, and, and what the woman would be charged to do is to not love her body as, it's, as, it's, as if it's her own, but that she would seek to serve her husband. And man, there's so much like ways that people have tried to twist that and try to get it backwards and like, I ain't serving no man and, and she, whatever, she's just gonna cook and clean in the kitchen and she's gonna take care of my house while I'm paying the bills. But like whatever, it's all this dumb stuff that we say when really what marriage is supposed to be this picture of is it's supposed to be the, the picture of the way that Christ has loved us and he gave himself up for us. So I give myself up for my wife. She gives herself up for me. It's this com- competition almost to see who can serve each other better. And like kids in the room, Parents are like, oh, pastor, go for it. Get them. <laughs> you're called to love your, like, you're called to love the people in your household with this love as well. So you're called, like, it's not about if you want to keep your room clean or not. If your parents, if your mom, if your dad likes the way that your room looks when it's clean and they want you to clean your room, don't make them ask you 15 times. But rather, don't, don't seek to just be so self-gratifying, to be, don't be so self-interested with what do I want to do, but rather you go, okay, how can I serve them? How can I serve, like, oh my gosh, kids, you know how well your day would go if for, for the rest of this day you just said, how can I serve my mom and dad? Oh my gosh, your parents would be so, I'm just telling you, it'd be in the best mood you've ever seen them in. You'd be like, what happened? would be like, what happened was you just started loving people the way you were supposed to love them. Like, so, okay, get your household, Parents, you got to love your kids in this way too. Sacrificially love your kids. Uh, you got to love your coworkers this way. You got to love that one weird dude at your office that you don't agree with on anything. You got to love him this way. That's the imperative. And so, as we consider how God has loved us, that is going to absolutely every single time compel us to love our neighbor in that way. That's what Jesus says love the Lord your God with all your heart. And as you're doing that, as you're loving God with everything that you have, you are then going to in turn love your neighbor as yourself. I love that as yourself is on there. Because what that as yourself indicates is that you are a person who has experienced the love of the Father. As you experience the love that's available to you in Jesus, now and only then are you able to love your neighbor well. Right? So what we're going to do as we end this message today is we're going to come to the communion table. And rather than just doing this as some kind of like routine practice that we just go, okay, yep, second, second Sunday of the month is when we take communion. Some of you are like, oh, okay, that's what we do. Second Sunday of the month, that's when we do it. That's when we do it. Every month we take it on the second Sunday. And I want you to come up here and grab the elements. And, and I want you just to sit down for a second. And before you take them, I want you just to be reminded personally of what Jesus spent for you. His love is measured by what he gave up. He broke his body. He spilled his blood. And so we're going to come and we're going to receive communion. And then I want you guys um, to sit back down. And what we're going to do is then talk about how um, this love now sends us out. And I'm really just going to pray a prayer that we would actually be people who are sent out of this place. That we didn't just come into church to receive selfishly just for ourselves. But as we have now received, now we will also then go and 
give. So as your heart is ready, um, just come on up and grab the communion elements and then you can return yourself back to your seat. I pray that communion today wouldn't just be us remembering your love for us, but I pray that we'd be encountering it today. That as we, as we take these, these, this bread and we remember your body that was crushed and broken, as we take the blood, we remember that you poured that out on our behalf so that your blood now washes us white as snow. Would we just receive the fact that you love us? Your love for us is is uncomprehendable but it's attainable like we can understand that you love us we just may never know how much you really do love us Jesus thank you for this time I pray that we bring honor and glory to your name it's in your name we pray amen now church would you stand just now as we have like we've received God's love for ourselves personally the text didn't stop with us receiving it personally now now the, the charge is to go and to be this love to the world around us and so right now I'm going to pray and I'm just going to ask that God would just give us opportunity to love and to empty ourselves for the sake of another this week so Jesus I just ask we have this church standing all standing together God would you help us be a people who are marked by love? Would your Holy Spirit send us in love to serve the city that we're placed in? Would we serve, like, would we love our households, our, our wives, our husbands, our kids, our parents, God? Would we be a people who are loving, not in the way that it's just so easily defined or flippantly designed, defined by culture, but would we love people the way that you've called us to love? in a way that gives ourselves up for the sake of another. We're overwhelmed by your goodness, God. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen.